Coming up on this episode, we get to listen in on a conversation about the Colossian Forum, an organization that specializes in conflict resolution, from issues of faith and science in the church to issues like political polarization. And this conversation is with Rob Barrett, the Colossian Forum's Chief Program Officer, coming up right after the intro. Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through conversations with thinkers, scholars, and leaders, we explore the life of the mind and the questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dan from Upper House, and it's my pleasure to introduce another partner episode with Science for the Church, an organization that we work with on a regular basis around issues of scientific knowledge and the, the current scientific consensus on a wide range of issues, and the Christian faith, and how those work together and how we can integrate them better. The host for this conversation is Drew Rick Miller, one of Science for the Church's co-founders, and he's talking with Rob Barrett, the Colossian Forum's chief program officer. And just a couple words on the Colossian Forum. It employs a model of conflict resolution that brings together small groups of uh, Christians in particular who combine intense dialogue and discussion around controversial topics with Christian practices like prayer and worship. And in this conversation, we'll be hearing a lot about the Colossian Forum's focus on issues of origins of evolution and young earth creationism, but they range much further than that. And we at Upper House are interested in places like the Colossian Forum because of the similarities we see in some of the work we do as well as bridge builders in Madison, builders between the church and the university, or bridging the church and the city. And so we're always looking for inspiring models and examples of other organizations that we can learn from and uh, do similar work in our own uh, local context. So with that introduction, here's an Upwards conversation with Drew Rick Miller and Rob Barrett. This is Drew Rick Miller, uh, co-director of Science for the Church. I'm here today with uh, Rob Barrett of the Colossian Forum. Uh, Rob is the chief programming and innovation officer at the Colossian Forum, and he's got one of the coolest job descriptions I think I've ever read. Uh, He developed the ideas and the practices for transforming divisive issues into opportunities for discipleship. Uh, And so we're real interested in, in learning more from Rob. He's got science and theology training in his background. One of the divisive issues he's worked on uh, is the, the relationship between Christian faith and science. Uh, and so we're excited to, to have Rob here and to, to spend some time learning more uh, about him and his background, uh, as well as the work that he does uh, at the Colossian Forum. So welcome, Rob. It's, it's good to have you with us. Well, thanks so much, Drew. I'm looking forward to talking. Thank you. Thank you. So first off, Tell us a little bit about your journey that, that led to the Colossian Forum. 
Okay, well, it's uh, kind of an unusual journey, but I, I started off in all-out um, all science technology stuff. I was on a trajectory to be a physicist from, like, second grade and turned into a computer programmer in high school and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and I just continued on that trajectory pretty straightforwardly through grad school. I worked on atomic scale imaging technologies um, in the applied physics program at Stanford and then went on to do data storage work at IBM Research after that. And I was basically um, an inventor, uh, worked on instrumentation, um, using a lot of basic physics in order to solve real problems. So that's why I was kind of this engineering physics divide, wanting to understand the real basics and the foundation stones of things, and then wanting to apply them to real problems. As I was getting into that career, I was also um, moving towards humanities and theology in another aspect of my life. I came to adult faith in college. I'd been raised a Christian, but it really became my own in college. And I ended up doing a two-year biblical studies program at my church, um, an independent Bible church, in California when I was starting my work at IBM. And that got me involved in church leadership and teaching in all sorts of ways. And I'd say that there was a productive tension between faith and science in my life, but not in the way most people experience it, but um, more as trying to find my vocational landing point with these varied interests. Then eventually my, my work at IBM actually shifted to much more human-centered things. I got into um, human-computer interaction as my research field which got me into workplace anthropology and um, web technologies and other things that involved the intersection between people and technology. And as I moved up at IBM, I started being asked the question more and more, what future should we invent if we're going to build a technical future? What should we do? And especially as a Christian, but I think just as a technologist too, you're just going, well, I don't know, nobody's asked me what we should do, just like what can we do? And, um, and that question became a really interesting one to me, especially as the web was taking off and we knew that the technological, the social impact of the technology was going to be so huge. So eventually I took a leave of absence from IBM for two years to go to seminary and to begin thinking more deeply as a Christian, both to explore vocation, but also to be able to do my technology work well. One of my pastor friends says, uh, Rob decided that he didn't know enough theology to be a good engineer. <laughs> and uh, I think that said it better than I ever said it. And so that set me off a different course where I um, did a second PhD in Old Testament and really continued focusing on what it meant to deepen the church, to live well in our world, to be um, obedient to God, faithful to God um, in all the complexities that I was facing in my life that I saw a lot of my friends facing very similar complexities in their own areas. So I um, taught at a church-based seminary in London for a while, worked on a research project in Old Testament in Germany. And then this idea of the Colossian Forum came my way, which was to help the church to wrestle with very difficult questions, conflicted, polarized questions, as a way to deepen our discipleship and to become deeper as Christians, as Christian communities. And that really intrigued me. And I took the leap to bring all these parts of my life together into one place. So kind of through this journey, science and faith kind of interacting was there was there a point where you you kind of came to a this is how I understand these two parts of my life or or was it more you almost presented it like it was a little bit of a competition there was the engineering part there were certainly questions that overlapped but more like a vocational discernment rather than a than a melding of a scientist who's Christian or a, a, a theology Bible scholar or, or pastor type 
the conflict was, for me was more where I wanted to invest my energy. And, you know, I feel like not being a philosopher or that kind of theologian, I'm stepping always, always stepping into difficult waters where you can't word things properly. But, mm-hmm. um, but science for it provides a certain way of knowing some things within the domains it's competent in. And, and engineering provides a way to accomplish certain things um, within its own domain. And faith likewise provides a Christian faith provides a way to know things and a way to do things. Um, and these all complement each other in, in interesting and complex ways. And I, I really have enjoyed working at the intersection between all those different forces and ways of knowing and doing. But one reason I shifted my vocational interest away from pure technology was that I felt like the the goals and values in the technology world alone were insufficient for answering those questions of why we're doing what we're doing. You know, after I had been at seminary and I, I went back to doing technological research, working data storage, and you just go, okay, from a data storage perspective, we want to store more data more densely with lower power, higher reliability, lower cost. There are just all these things which are good. But what you should store and is it actually what we need to be able to store more data this way? And what are we going to do with all that data storage capacity? Those questions just weren't very easily answerable within the science and technology disciplines. And I remember one day in particular, I was testing some natural language processing uh, algorithms and, and I needed a big text. This was before the, the web was really before the web was around at all, really. And um, so I found a copy of the King James Bible lying around as a text file. And it's like four to five megabytes, right? And it's just this nano droplet within the information world that we have. Um, It's a ridiculously small amount of text. And yet I felt this text was dreadfully important to study and to learn well and to build one's life around, um, as opposed to all those other petabytes of information lying around. There was this increasing need for me to find the right proportions of how to invest in these different ways of knowing and being in the world. So I don't know if that helps to see how I was struggling through these different questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, you know, I'm a bit intrigued. You didn't go more into the theology, technology, you know, ethics of technology, given your interests. uh, Although I'm sure that's part of, of some of the work that you've done. Yeah, it's, it's always present, right? Um, I remember, you know, a conversation with a, a manager at IBM as the web was first coming online. We were working on human computer systems, how they work together. And you could see the social media explosion on the horizon. And it's taken some 10 years to get there after that. But you just go, so if people can spontaneously gather in all sorts of ways around different subject areas, you can see all the, the power for, like him, he had, he had just... Uh, his son had just been diagnosed as autistic and he goes, I could find other parents of autistic children and learn from them and help them to do, to do that better. And then you realize that there are all sorts of nefarious purposes people could use to gather around a common interest to do great harm. And so these tools weren't just neutral. Uh, these, these tools have values built in them based on how they're built. It just became a very important matter to me about how we're building and what kinds of people we are going to lead to what kind of tools we build, which takes me back to the question of discipleship. How are we becoming the kinds of Christians who can make wise decisions all along the way of this? So let's use that as a tr- uh, kind of a transition to, to say a bit more about the, the Colossian Forum. Tell me a little bit about what the Colossian Forum is and uh, what you do there. Yeah, so the Colossian Forum was born out of out of a concern and really the experience of some Christian leaders seeing their 
Christian institutions, churches, and even their own families being torn apart by polarizing, deep, heated conflicts that mattered, particularly at first with faith and science, although it's grown into lots of other things. Kind of the, the founding insight of the Colossian Forum was that it wasn't so much that we needed a solution, a written down answer that resolves all of the problems and faith science tensions or whatever, but that we collectively are not the kinds of people who can engage these difficult problems well. We lack the character, we lack the formation in Christ to be able to wrestle through deeply nuanced, difficult challenges that affect the ways we live. And so that turned into an opportunity to say, could we use these conflicts as places for spiritual formation? The mission of the Colossian Forum is to equip leaders to transform cultural conflicts into opportunities for spiritual growth and witness. So can we take these conflicts and and if we face into them truly as Christians, can we discover God more deeply and can we testify to who God is and the difference the gospel makes? And so we have this vision for a Christian community that that actually acts Christian, especially when under the pressure of conflict. So we focus on using conflicts. I like to use the metaphor of the searchlight in a classroom, that you step into a conflict like over the age of the earth and evolution and things like this. And the way you engage that conflict and what happens when you start talking to people who are on the other side of that debate, it shines a searchlight on your very soul to reveal who we are. Our, our character comes out when we're under pressure. And, um, and sometimes it reveals good things, and sometimes it reveals things we wouldn't care to see about how selfish we are, about how prideful we are, about how angry we are, these sorts of things. Um, but then the same conflict can also be a classroom, can be a place for our formation. When you have that clash and something comes out of you that you didn't want to see, well, Christians, we know what to do with that. We have confession. We have um, repentance. We have learning. We have um, forgiveness. We have all these different things that can be used in that situation to, to take that brokenness and turn it into healing. And so the same conflicts that show us our problems can actually be part of solving our problems. That's a controversial thing. Most people avoid all these conflicts for good reasons. It's a hard place to be. But we've seen such tremendous fruit over the years of engaging these things well. That's kind of our work, is to help people get excited when they see a good conflict as a great opportunity, as even a gift, when we often prefer to just run away from it. Right. I was going to say, most of us don't get excited when we see those those points of tension, and, and especially for church leaders where uh, a community is divided on these issues, they they worry about that division and, and, and creating even deeper rifts. So I know the, the Colossian way is, is kind of your branded process, I think it is. Um, could you say a little bit more about what the Colossian way is uh, specifically? Yeah, um, we call it a framework. We don't know exactly what to call it. And the, the basic structure of it, we have these kind of three goals. Whenever we gather people together who, are, um, who have a deep conflict, um, we try and accomplish three things. The first one's pretty straightforward. We gather. We call it gather, practice, witness. So we gather people together. And when we gather, there's some specific things about that. We gather as Christians. We gather in the name of Jesus. So we don't leave our faith at the door. We bring it. We bring all of our Christian commitments in with us. And we gather. Actually, we do it liturgically. It's almost a worship service where you substitute a big argument in place of the sermon. And so we have an invocation when we gather to say that God is present with us and we welcome God's presence with us. And everything we do 
in the middle of this conflict um, testifies to who God is and is done before God and to God's glory. Not just a perfunctory prayer, but something we lean on hard. And we gather together as the body of Christ, which we know deep in our bones that we belong to each other as Christians. And so no matter how divided we are, we can't quite write each other off. That we know that if Jesus can break down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, then he can break down the dividing wall between young earth creationists and evolutionary creationists, for instance. Now, that, that can be really dicey when you want to say, well, that this person's outside the fold. But even if somebody just names the name of Christ, then we have a certain ability to call each other to account, to live that out well. So that's the first step, gather as Christians. And then the focus is what we call practice. And we, we, we say practice loving God and loving neighbor while engaging difficult problems. So that has, like, that has three aspects to it. It's a practice because Christian practices are how we learn to learn to live as Christians as we are formed into the image of Christ. It's a practice. It's, we're not going to get it right, um, but we're going to take it up with a certain orientation to glorifying God and what we do. And what we're going to practice is putting two things together at the same time. We're going to love God the neighbor, which basically means live as Christians. That's how Jesus summarizes the law. We're going to live as Christians. And then we're going to engage the difficult problems at the same time. Sounds easy. We're so tempted to love one another and ignore the problems or dive into the problems and not love one another or, and not to love God and to, to keep God's priorities in front of us as best we can discern them. So that's, that's the central part. And at the end, because those conflicts will go on forever, eventually you stop and you go, what has happened here that testifies to the reality of God, the power of the gospel, to the truth of, of Christ. And so we hope to witness the body of Christ built up, even through conflict, which is very counterintuitive. We think conflict only rips us apart. And so we hope to witness in both senses of to observe the building up of, of Christ's body and to be able to testify to it together. So that's what we do. Gather as Christians, practice loving and engaging, and then witness the building up of the body. That's the Colossian way. There's a lot of subtlety to it, but, uh, but that's the basic framework. And we've applied that mainly in small groups that uh, engage big cultural issues, but we're doing more now of helping churches to do this uh, within their own particularized challenges, conflicts, concerns, controversies. Wonderful, wonderful. And it, you know, it certainly resonates uh, the work that uh, Greg and I have been a part of um, that has led to Science for the Church, programs that we helped run in the past where they were largely science and faith, but you know we've certainly seen it's it's not a formulated process necessarily like what you do, but we've definitely seen that fruit of deeper spiritual growth, kind of coming to peace with the issues and with one another and and even our differences through just kind of sustained conversation and engagement and starting to realize we are all part of the body and we can have these conversations and it, you know, it was real surprising when we did some evaluation work and the survey showed across the board, the participants felt like they grew spiritually from being a part of a whole range of science and faith programs. Oh, that's uh, and some of them simply by the fact their community was doing this, mm -hmm. enrich their faith, uh, you know, to, to be a part of a place that could ask those sorts of questions. And we don't put off forever that we would like to resolve some of these conflicts and actually get to answers. But when that is less the driving concern, then we can focus on the more important things of living as Christ in the middle of these conflicts. 
And I deeply believe that if we can engage the problems well, as Christ calls us to, we will actually get to answers and that truth will be ever more revealed. But that may be a slow process. But it can also just depend on what truth you're looking for. Like one of our first meetings that we had of a young earth creationist with an evolutionary creationist, and they didn't resolve the age of the earth to which everybody agreed to, but they did make progress in the truth in very important other ways that some people didn't notice. Like that the the one had thought that the young earth creationist was just couldn't possibly be a decent scientist and actually know the science and be a young earth creationist. And after several days of working together as, as brothers in Christ, he could publicly testify that he is not a fool. He, is a, he actually understands the science. He knows it well. I don't quite know how he can do what he does with that, but he could testify this truth. He really is a scientist. And the other way around, the young earth creationist had, um, had diminished this other man as actually being a real Christian. And, and again, he could say, I'm not quite sure how he does it. But I'm convinced he is a real Christian and my brother, which is a testimony to the truth that before was was something less than true of what he had seen of this man. And uh, so so there is this progress that's being made. It isn't always the progress you might have been looking for on resolving about the truth of evolution or not. Yeah, I, I heard very clearly there a reference to a, a book, The Fool and the Heretic. <laughs> Um, they, they, I know Colossian Forum had a, a major part in, in helping to facilitate the dialogue that, that led to that book, which is a, a wonderful example of differing opinions, but unity in Christ. I enjoy the book very much. I think one of the reasons is that I, I love these two brothers so much, and, and uh, it reminds me of our journey together over the years. And I think it tells the story really well. And it also, even if you have no interest in the faith science evolution battles, the, the analogies and connection points to many other different kinds of conflicts are there. So I would encourage people to read it, even if they're not interested in that particular topic, because a lot of the contours are the same. To keep us kind of moving forward, I'd love to hear a little bit more. I think evolution was the first topic um, mm-hmm. that, that you really focused on at the Colossian Forum. Tell me a little bit about that experience, kind of what you've learned. Uh, you know, what were some of the the, the best practices, some of the, maybe even some of the failures, the, the, the struggles that, that you experienced in, in trying to work through age of the earth and evolution and Adam and Eve and this whole suite of issues uh, connected around origins and evolution. So I, there are a lot of stories to share. Um, one, one thing um, is that not everyone accepts our invitation to, um, to engage in these sorts of uh, conversations. And, um, and I've used some of the projections of our invitations to set challenges before us. So um, one leader within the faith science uh, world turned us down as saying that I've tried this before and people just get hardened against each other the more you talk to each other. And I think I understand where the other side's coming from and we're not going to participate in anything anymore like this because nothing good can possibly result from it. And I often lay that out. He was very kind to write that letter to us and explain why he wouldn't join. I lay it out in front of us and say, okay, so we're going to ask ourselves this question repeatedly. Can anything good possibly come from this? And I think by laying those important challenges in front of us, it helps keep us honest. So that's, that's been one thing that's really helpful. It's important to choose people to be in these who have a, have a pretty well-formed Christian character already. The conversations are hard. Uh, living out the fruit of the Spirit is hard. And, uh, and we do grow. Um, not everyone's ready for it. It can be pretty high pressured. <laughs> we also learned that it's really helpful to have two people 
we were kind of facilitating and leading the conversations because um, there's so many things going on, so many dynamics in the room that it's hard to observe everything that's going on. And there are just so many beautiful moments, like in one of these conversations we were having where things go wrong all the time. You're saying things go wrong. Of course things go wrong. Almost every time we do one of these multi-day forums, halfway through, I just want to get in the car and leave. It's just, I, I believe nothing good can possibly come from this. But I always stick it out and amazing things pretty much very reliably happen. But there are these little things you have to tune your eyes to. Like in, in one of these, someone slammed the educational background of the other person saying, basically, if you had had a real education, you would certainly know that X, Y, Z. He's a very gentle man, the one who said that. And, and he immediately knew that he had mischaracterized things and that he had done something deeply wrong. And to be able to to stop and apologize, and the whole thing goes off the rails at that point, going, okay, we're dropping the agenda. What do we need to do here? And you need to step into that and offer a chance for correcting that mistake, for rebuilding the bonds of relationship, which like a bone, they get knitted together stronger than they were before the break. I mean, I saw another one went the other way around. It's the same two people. And one said something that was kind of intentionally inflammatory against the other side. And instead of going out in the hallway during the next break and tweeting about what an idiot this person was and what he had just said, which happens so often, instead he, he turned and said, you know, I don't think you really meant that. Do you want to try again? That sort of opening completely transforms what's going on to say, we're trying to get to a place where we're working together on this. And I would say that after a couple of years of hard work, <laughs> this almost sounds ridiculous, we got to the point where one could ask an honest question and be understood across the giant cultural divide of these two camps and an attempt could be given at an honest answer. And that sounds trivial. That is a long road to getting there. Mm -hmm. And then we, we learned that as the people on both sides start to truly love each other, they value their relationship so much, they almost back off from saying the hard things now. Um, because you have a relationship that matters to you that's at risk if you say something hard. And so it, we got to a sticking place where we had to encourage them to say the hard things. I, I, had a, I had a very clear conversation one day and said, I need each of you to tell the other if you actually want to hear what the other person thinks for real or whether you just want to play nice. And the one said, yes, I want to know what he really thinks. And the other said, yes, I'm willing for him to hurt which is a, is a beautiful step into the pattern of Christ that gets described in Philippians 2 of a willingness to be hurt for something that's more important. And so that was a turning point to where publicly they were able to proclaim to saying, I think the people on the other side, including my dear brother here, is doing harm to the church based on what he's doing. His beliefs, his, his approach to faith science is actually harming people. People are being damaged in their faith through what he's doing, and he needs to stop for these reasons. That was huge. Um, our audiences got upset when they saw this. They go, wait, I thought you loved each other. And you, you just, you just uh, contradicted everything you stood for right there. I can't believe you're doing that. But we've gotten to the point of going, oh, but this is what love calls us to do, to, to speak this truly to the other going, I really think you're on the wrong track. I think there's something really damaging going on here. And then to work that through, that was a hard step to take. It was a hard step for people watching us to follow us on. But it was absolutely critical and was a next step in our work together. Really powerful. So I know you've worked, uh, you've done programs and, and groups that have looked at human sexuality. 
and then I know most recently you've turned towards politics. You know, we're all deeply in the middle of uh, right now. Tell me a little bit about some of the lessons you learned early on that have helped you to apply to what is, is probably the, the most difficult and divisive issue for our country right now, uh, politics. As people learn the Colossian way, one sign of, of seeing the fruit that it bears is that people are willing to use this approach to things that are closer and closer to their hearts. Owen said, if we ever get to the point where we're willing to like open up our tax returns to one another and say, can you help me think about how I use my money as a Christian, we will have reached <laughs> the epitome of this. So the, the most personal things that we're afraid to talk about, we're afraid of being condemned, these difficulties. So we've seen the progression of topics. For many people, faith science is a kind of a out there abstract thing. Now, for many people who are involved in the debates, it's very, very real and personal. And um, so I don't want to diminish that at all. Uh, I talked to a man who said, I knew when I published my book that it would generate some waves, but I didn't know my children wouldn't be invited to birthday parties anymore. You know, those sort of things. So it's a very real topic, right? But people very quickly started telling us, going, okay, this, this is all nice and good, but we really need to talk about sexuality because this is ripping us all apart. And then it wasn't too long after being engaged in the sexuality uh, conflicts that um, that people said, okay, but it's it's politics that's ripping us up, and that's just so obvious to all of us now. While every topic has its its own contours and proportions, uh, human character, uh, our brokenness, the ways of sin are, are very similar in all of them. What you learn in one applies very much to another. In fact, I asked our um, our faith science people at one point I said, I get the feeling that you've been doing for 30 years what all of us are now immersed in doing of navigating these polarized, entrenched, um, different views of reality world. And uh, and they agreed that that they they what they have been um, struggling through is now everybody's struggle. So we we're all faced with this all the time and we have to decide what posture we're going to take and what we're going to attempt to do in these in these struggles. What advice would you have for a, a church leader that is part of a congregation that is, that is you know, being ripped apart by some of these divisive topics? Are there some specific recommendations or suggestions or practices that, that you would encourage them to? I mean, obviously, you want them to sign up, come to the Colossian Forum website and, and join in and, and be a part of your program. But are there some kind of practical tips that you can offer to, to church leaders that are really struggling trying to figure out how to navigate the division within the, the body of Christ? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for people to learn from us, but I'm also wanting us to learn from others who have found ways through these things. Um, I do think that an orientation to saying that this provides an opportunity, every conflict provides an opportunity. Um, it, 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 it's almost uh, too easy to say, but it, it's very real that these that these pressures provide, like I said, searchlights and classrooms for us. But to use them well, we, we really have to immerse the conflict within worship. If this isn't about um, honoring God in everything we do and of seeking God's help in all that we do, then it's just clanging gongs and cymbals. So, um, so that's, that's a very important one. It can, be, it can be hard to do when you're in the middle of something to stop and pray. But part of that is discovering that what binds us together is so much stronger than what tears us apart. You know, I once had a, um, uh, a professional in the realm of secular dialogue, who also happened to be a Christian, but he worked in secular dialogue, observe um, some of our work. 
And he was just astounded at how much progress we made, how quickly compared to what he was able to do. Because when we come to the room, we have so much in common already. When, when we read any of the parables of Jesus, if we read the commendations of Paul to the, to the young churches about what walking worthy of Christ looks like, we have these things deeply in our bones. We, we don't have to worry about someone holding up lying as a good way to go that we know that we owe each other truth because we're all one body together. So to remember those things is really important that the basics will help us through all the complexities. But as far as practical things, I would just say um, there's one practice that we do that, um, that far and away is one of the most powerful things can happen when you're in the middle of something that's heating up beyond what you can handle. We call it the love behind the fear. And it's, it's basically to realize that the conflict is often driven by, um, by fear that something incredibly valuable is vulnerable of being destroyed, of being harmed. Something we really care about that is really worthwhile is being damaged. And if you can just pause and say, what are you afraid is going wrong? What is being lost here? What are you afraid is going to go wrong? And that does a couple of things. Um, the first thing is that when someone expresses a fear, it naturally invites compassion from all the rest of us. And so it changes the tone of the thing to actually caring about the person um, rather than only caring about the argument. The other thing it does is it provides a lens into the thing that the, that the person's argument is caring about. And so often we we're attacking and we don't say what we, what we're protecting and that we feel this thing we're protecting is, is under attack and vulnerable. So early on faith science discussions, like one of the things that becomes incredibly obvious is that everybody believes that science is a useful tool and a helpful way of discovering reality. Nobody wants to throw science away. And at the same time, the Bible is the unique revelation of God. Nobody wants to disregard the Bible. Then you get that out there and you go, oh, well, gosh, that's an awful great starting point that we both respect the power of science and we both want to preserve God's word in the Bible and listen to it and, and, and adhere to it and follow it. So when you get that out there, then you go, okay, so then how is what you're doing protecting both the Bible and the legitimacy of science? And it changes the conversation completely. Um, so this discover what you're afraid of, get it all out there and see what that fear is protecting is, is an amazingly powerful practice. And it's very useful throughout life. You can use that with your kids too. I want to keep this conversation going. There's so many interesting things, both in your background and in your work, but I think that's a, a really beautiful place to end. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Andy Johnson, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.